This is God's servant Dilip Koshikoshi. I am the pastor of Revelation Church. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. I pray that you will experience the power of God's word in all its richness and glory today. May your faith be revived, your mind be renewed, and your body be healed in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Man, what a privilege it is for us to worship a living God. Amen. The gods of this world have no life. The gods of this world have no life. They're lifeless. They're lifeless. But the God whom we serve is the true and living God. Man, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Man, the fact that I like about gathering together on a Friday, Good Friday, is that we get to meet very soon. On Easter Sunday. Amen. Hallelujah. So that we can complete the meditation of what we started off on a good Friday. If you were meeting only on Fridays, then we can't complete the meditation. Because the work that Christ did on the cross is a finished work. It's a finished work. It's not an unfinished work. Praise God, it is not unfinished. It's a finished. Amen. When Jesus died on the cross, he said finished. You know why he said it is finished? You know why he said it is finished? Because he knew that he's going to rise again. Amen. That's why he said it is finished. He finished. Completed. Accomplished. The word means accomplished. Amen. Hallelujah. The Christian world at large attaches a lot of uh, tradition to the season that just went by. I'm talking about the the Passion Week. Uh, Even the run-up, the 50 days into... Um, Easter, and all those. There's a lot of traditions involved with that. There's a lot of piety, say piety, and a lot of uh, penance, say penance, and um, religiosity, say religiosity, uh, and legalism, say legalism. Amen. Uh, because all those traditions are meant to kind of give a picture of pity, say pity, amen, about the work of Jesus Christ. I want you to know there is nothing to pity about the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing to pity, man, about the work on the cross. Absolutely nothing to pity about it. Man, Good Friday is not meant to stir up your emotions and make you shed some tears. There is nothing pitiable about the death and the suffering of Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. I hope as Christians you know that. We are not to sympathize with his sufferings. You know that? In fact, Christ suffered because he sympathized with our weaknesses. Hallelujah. It was was his sympathy being made manifest on the cross. His sympathy for us. Man, we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. Even now, the God that we serve, the Christ whom we serve, is a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And there is nothing to pity about his death. There is nothing to pity about his, his suffering. There is nothing to pity about his um, pain, his agony. There's nothing to pity about it. There's nothing pitiable. The more you understand the finished work, the more you will celebrate the love of God, which was displayed on the cross of Calvary. Amen. The more you understand the finished work, the more you will start to celebrate. You'll walk in celebration. You'll walk in celebration. The passion of Christ. I'm not talking about the movie. The passion of the Christ is a matter of celebration. 
It's a matter of great celebration. As much as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we must celebrate the death of Christ. We must celebrate it. It is not a cause of uh, mourning and crying and weeping. It is not meant to crush your heart. If there's anybody here, you felt crushed in your heart because you went through that last one week of reflection on the cross, it crushed your heart. Did it crush your heart? As much as the sufferings of Christ, which he took on my behalf, is deeply moving. It can deeply move me. The more I realize the spiritual significance and where that work has positioned me, the more I will celebrate it. The more I will be thankful about it. The more I will sing about it. The more I will preach about it. Amen. Hallelujah. I can only remember it with worship. Say worship. I can only remember it with worship. Say loud worship. I do not have tears for my Savior's suffering. I do not have. I do not, do not have tears of sympathy for my Savior. If at all I shed tears, those are tears of joy and worship and devotion unto my God. That's where God wants you to be. You're not to cry. You're not to be sad. It is amazing to see how traditional nominal Christians, they, they um, I'm not, I have nothing against them, but I'm just, I'm just making some observations. It's traditional nominal Christians, how they maintain a certain posture, body language across the season of Lent, as they call it. They call it the Lent. They maintain a certain posture, body language. It's very, very sober. Especially by the time they come to that Passion Week after Hosanna Sunday. Passion Week is like very quiet and very long-faced like I said on Friday. Long-faced and Good Friday is like pin drop silence. The only thing that you can think on Good Friday is Kanye Empire. Which is good. I have nothing against Kanye Empire. I love Kanye Empire. Have you ever thought of, thought of this? Just think about it. What is so great about the death of Christ? Why did I say there is nothing to pity about it? What is so great about the death of Christ? He accomplished something that you couldn't accomplish. He achieved something you couldn't achieve. And for me, it's a matter of great rejoicing. Have you ever considered that? Have you considered what took place when Christ died and rose again. What took place? Have you ever considered? Okay, let's go to that incident. Early in the morning. Say early in the morning. The first day of the week. A few women who loved Jesus and followed hard after him. By the way, there were some amazing women who followed hard after Jesus. We only talk about the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples. But there were some amazing women who followed after Jesus. Amen. Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James, Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, Salome, Joanna, a few are named in the various accounts of the gospel. And we see them, they pre prepared, say prepared. 
They prepared spices, say spices. So they prepared spices and perfumes. For what? To anoint the body of Christ. So they took rest on Sabbath. They are not allowed to do any of those things on the Sabbath. So they are just waiting for the Sabbath to get over. And the next day morning, the first thing they did on the third day, they went straight to the tomb in which Jesus was laid because they had followed the body of Christ in the morning procession. Morning procession. They mourned over him and followed after that the dead body of Christ. Came to the place where he was laid. So they know where he was laid. Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, these women, they didn't wait for any man to accompany them. They went straight to the tomb. When it was still dark. When it was still dark, by the way. They went to the tomb. How many of you will go to the tomb when it is still dark? Especially women. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to claim that men are brave. Men are not. I know some, some men who are not at all. Not, not up to it. But these women went straight to the tomb early in the morning. When it was still dark. Carrying the perfumes. Carrying the spices. They wanted to anoint the body of Christ. They wanted to seek the permission. Can we go in the, inside the tomb and we, can we anoint, anoint the, the body with these spices? It's a, it's a thing that they... Uh, did as a tribute to the person who died. So they went there and they saw two men, say two men. But the one thing the Bible talks about these men, they had dazzling apparel, dazzling clothes, man, and shimmery white clothes. They were standing there and they told uh, these two angels, a man told the women, he is not here. He is not here. The one who you came to anoint is not here. He is risen from the dead. Why are you searching for the living among the dead? That's what they asked. So now they, uh, you know, they went and reported this. The Bible says in, in one of the Gospels, I remember, the Bible says with fear and joy. There's a, it's a mixed emotion. Both fear and joy. They went to report, uh, you know, what they just witnessed. The, the, the empty tomb and the, the stone rolled away and the angels having reported this to them. They went and told the disciples, all the men. Hello, we had this encounter. We went there. This is what the angels, they had fear, they had joy. Luke chapter 24 and verse 11. And these words appear to them as nonsense, it seems. It appears to them as nonsense. NKJV says idle talk. It appeared to the men as idle talk. What these women had to say. Can you believe the number of times that Jesus said, I'm going to come back to life. The number of times he said, the son of man should suffer all this, but, but he's going to come back to life. God is going to raise him up. They completely became oblivious to what Christ has already told them. But Peter and John, we believe it is John. Peter and the other disciples, the Bible says. Peter and John ran to the tomb to confirm. And they confirmed that, yes, indeed, the, the, the stone is the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. So they kind of figured out something is true. Something is true. So, But they still couldn't connect the dots. Especially, now Mary Magdalene, amazing woman of God. Amen. Mary Magdalene, 
you know, so the, they went as a team, this gang of women who followed after Christ. Um, they went and reported to the disciples. They didn't take their word for what it is. But she was still lingering, say lingering. She stayed on. And the Bible says she was weeping. She was weeping because she wanted to give, pay tribute to her, to her Savior. See, she loved him much. It's very clear. Because she has experienced of his deliverance. Amen. Of his miracle working power. Out of her, seven demons went out when Jesus prayed over her. Or Jesus ministered to her. Seven demons. And she was tormented by... Can you imagine a person being tormented by seven demons? And the Bible talks about legion. Person, people who are tormented by legions. But it's talking about one, one woman tormented by seven demons. And Jesus ministered to her and cast out these seven demons, set her free. Her life became brand new, say brand new. She owed much to Jesus. She took it on herself to visit the, the tomb of Jesus early in the morning, first day of the week, and anointed, probably she's the one who organized this, took all the other women with her. Now, they all went as a team. The first name to be uh, recorded in, the, in that narrative is Mary Magdalene. And then talks about Mary, the other Mary, or Mary, the mother of Joseph, Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, um, Salome. All those names are mentioned. But Mary Magdalene is the chief of them. Because she had much to offer unto this Jesus. She was too overwhelmed. She was puzzled. Her love for Jesus was, re was real. Do you know what the angels told her first? She met angels. She looked in the tomb once again. She went back. She looked inside the tomb. She saw two angels. You know what the angels told her as she looked? One was sitting at the, where the head was laid. The other angel was sitting at where the, the, the feet were. Yeah. And the angel spoke to her. What did angels tell her? John. Let's read John. John chapter 20. Western onward. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. They had given up hope. So they saw this, but they had given up hope. They probably would have thought, okay, somebody would have taken his body. So they went back to their homes. But Mary, say, but Mary. But Mary. Amen. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, this is the first thing that they said, Woman, why are you weeping? The first thing the angels asked her is, Why are you? Say together, why are you weeping? Ask your neighbor, why are you weeping? It is only natural for a woman to weep. Because somebody that she treasured so much passed away. But the question is, why are you weeping? Who did Jesus uh, appear to for the first time? Mary Magdalene. You know that, right? The first person to see the risen, risen Lord is Mary Magdalene. The same Mary Magdalene. We see that in the next verse. Um, verse 13. Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, 
why are you the first thing heaven asked was why are you weeping the first thing the risen lord asked was why are you weeping what does that mean does it mean anything to you and i does it mean anything to you and i like i said there is nothing to pity about the death and sufferings of christ there is nothing to cry about there is nothing to weep about if you considering the death and the sufferings of jesus christ there is nothing to cry about heaven does not give you permission heaven does not give you permission heaven will not give you permission to cry for the death of jesus christ somebody receive this there is nothing to pity about the death of jesus christ there is nothing to cry about there is no, no reason to shed tears because jesus has died heaven is taking away the permission why are you weeping and jesus also the risen christ said why are you weeping why are you weeping there's no reason for you to weep when jesus rose again from the dead he cancelled out your permission to weep for him when jesus rose again from the dead he he took away the reason to weep for jesus today when we see all the madness the so called christian world is following after and how it is creeping into the so called believing church also are we missing out something here he took away your grief the bible says he took away your weeping the risen christ is not seeking for mourners the risen christ is not seeking for mourners mourning is not what he wants from you The risen Christ is not seeking for mourners. No, he's seeking for worship. Say worshippers. He's seeking for worshippers, not for those who will mourn over him. He wants the church to know there is nothing to pity about his death. Spices and perfumes are good. It's meant for mourning and paying tribute to the dead body. Jesus cannot receive it. He cannot receive it. You know why? because he is a risen savior it is not for the risen savior it's for the dead body somewhere which has decayed but he is not a dead body decayed having decayed somewhere he is a risen savior he came back to life because the glory of god raised him from the dead amen so all the spices and the perfumes that you prepare for jesus will be a waste all your tears that you stored up for jesus will be a waste because he is not looking for your mourning he is not looking for your weeping he is not looking for you to anoint him with perfumes and spices he is looking for worshiping in truth and in spirit this is a risen savior it is abnormal say abnormal and illegal for a christian to mourn over the death of jesus because the very first thing that he addressed the risen christ addressed is why are you weeping it is abnormal say abnormal illegal and i i hope you have you'll have the boldness to tell those who follow these practices of mourning and weeping uh, and and crying and and uh, uh, observing severe penance because they want to identify with the sufferings of christ christ has taken away every permission that you have to mourn over him the church has no right to cry the church has no right to weep amen some of you are like okay what is the big deal about it what is so big about it 
He has turned your mourning into dancing. He has turned your mourning into dancing. The mature Christian cannot reflect on the finished work of Jesus Christ without celebrating the truth that he or she is a beneficiary of that work. If you're truly meditating on the cross, if you're truly meditating on the finished work of Jesus Christ, say finished work. See, the unfinished work, if it were, it was, if it was an unfinished work, there is a reason to mourn. There is a reason to weep. But praise God, it is a finished work. And because it is a finished work, you cannot weep. You cannot mourn. You cannot. Every time you reflect on the death and the sufferings of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, the, the agony of Christ, it must cause you to celebrate the love of God which came to you. You never deserved it. You never deserved it. Now that can wreck you. That can break you. Yes. That can break you. That can crush you. The love of God. The grace of God can overwhelm you. Can leave you undone. To know that you are a beneficiary of the obedience of Jesus Christ. You are... Hello. Why am I going to... I said you are the beneficiary of a, of a work of obedience, even to the point of death. Has anybody loved you like that? Ha, you tell me, your father has loved you like that? Has your mother loved you like that? Has your brother, your sister loved you like that? Your husband or your wife loved you like that? Who has loved you to the point of death? Only Jesus. Say, only Jesus. Only Jesus. So when you consider that he died for you, you must be so happy about it. You must have a smile on your face when you consider the death of Christ. If you truly know what all he has accomplished for you. Okay, we, I mean, we are masters and sing songs like death has died. We just sang that. Do you even know what it means? Death has died. Fear your great opponent. Death, your great opponent has died. Why are you weeping? Why are you sad? Now, why are you long-faced? Why are you expressionless? Why are you emotionless? Why are you without worship? They consider your life. See, we can, I'm telling you, we can hold this Bible and become great theologians and still miss out on these things. Sad it is. You will know the answer for every question that there is from the Bible. Theologically. And still miss out on the revelation knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done for you. If you train your senses to be like that, to be stoic in the presence of God, to be very uh, rigid and unmoved in the presence of God, you're going to be like that. You're going to be like that. You're going to remain like that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Jesus suffered once. Why did he suffer once? He suffered once and for all. He suffered once and for all to put an end to my sufferings. He suffered once and for all to put an end to my sufferings. If I now suffer, it is not 
for anything of, of my own. If I now suffer, it is only for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only suffering left for me to bear on this earth is to suffer the reproach of Christ, is to suffer the reproach of the gospel of Christ, is to bear the burden of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only suffering left for me. Do you know that? Do you know that? And why is it that we still entertain teachings and, and thoughts that a Christian must suffer? A Christian must suffer. There's a Christian way to suffer. No, there is no Christian way to suffer. If you're a Christian, there is no suffering. There's no suffering. I can sound very weird. I can sound very uh, abnormal. I can sound very off the, uh, off the word. But you study the word and figure out for yourself. The truth of the matter is, if you know your Christ, if you know what is accomplished, it's about, say, knowing. It's about knowing. You can suffer, I can suffer. But does not change what the Bible says. You can claim yourself to be a Christian and you can go through a situation. Yeah? But that, that does not change what the Bible says. What is it to partake of the sufferings of Christ? That we have fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. What does that mean? How do you fellowship? How do you partake of the sufferings of Christ? What it means to partake of the sufferings of Christ? You are now to partake of his sufferings, the Bible says. Not by, okay, listen to this. Not by mourning. Not by wearing black. Not by eating kanyi. Not by carrying the cross. Not by climbing up the hill. Not by walking under the hot sun. Not by crawling on your knees. Not by touching your forehead to the ground. You partake of his sufferings. See, listen, the devil has deceived the people of God into believing this is how we must partake of the sufferings. It is not. You are now to partake of his sufferings by receiving the benefits of his sufferings. That's how we partake of the sufferings of Christ. You are no partaker of his sufferings. You have no portion in his sufferings if you're not receiving of the benefits of why he suffered. Are you getting this? I don't want that. When you go to a home, when people offer you something nice, when, when the host offers you something nice, you, you try to be very nice. You try to be very polite and you say, it's okay, thank you. I'll, I don't want it. Out of the bounty of the host, out of the goodness and the love, the host would have offered you something very good. But because of your pride, you say, no thanks. But deep inside, you're craving for it. Only you and God knows that you're craving for it. Sometimes we are like that. We, we are desperate for this goodness. We are desperate for this blessing. We are desperate for this breakthrough. We are desperate for this miracle. But we have this attitude before God. I don't know why that is. Maybe we don't feel worthy enough to receive it. Maybe it's like something that you feign. It's not real. It's something very fake. A fake sense of humility that you try to project. And you... I want to suffer. I want to partake of your sufferings, Jesus. Jesus, I want to partake of your... And Jesus is saying, if you want to partake of my sufferings, you have to receive what I accomplish for you through my sufferings. 
if you're not receiving what i accomplished for you through my sufferings you have no part or portion in my sufferings see if anybody were to teach you that you must crawl you must eat kanji you must kanji is good okay no offense to kanji i'm just addressing some traditions which are followed so that you know what i'm talking about you know we are talking about religion say religion religion does not serve the god of the bible do you know that man's religion does not serve the god of the bible true there's something called as true religion true religion is something else but man's religion does not serve the god of the bible it serves other gods demons so when you refuse to partake of his sufferings by not receiving the benefits of his sufferings you are not serving the lord christ you are not serving god the father you are serving some other gods philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 and whatever things were gain to me those things i have counted as loss for the sake of christ more than that i count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing christ my lord for whom i have suffered the loss of all things and count them to be rubbish so that i may gain christ look at this paul is talking about a suffering he says he has suffered the loss of all things the things which were counted as gain by him in his early life he says i have suffered the loss of all those things the things which i held on to so dearly and he mentions about those things a few verses above it's philippians chapter 3 verse 2 onwards beware of the dogs beware of evil workers beware of the false circumcision for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of god and glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh although i myself might have confidence even in the flesh if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh i far more look at the confidence of this man he said if anybody can put some confidence in the flesh i more than anybody else i can do that and he tells you why circumcised the eighth day of the nation of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews as to the law a pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness which is in the law found blameless how confident can a person be about the law he's saying i am righteous according to the law i am blameless if there is righteousness in the law i'll be found blameless he has got such confidence so those are the things he's saying those things which he counted as gain at one point of his life he considered all those things as gain that is from the nation of israel that he was circumcised on the eighth day he's of the tribe of benjamin he's a hebrew of hebrews he's a pharisee as to the law a persecutor of the church as to seal and as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless these are the things that he he wore with such pride he was proud about those things and then he says i suffered the loss of all those things and you might feel oh sad he suffered loss paul suffered loss he put down all those credentials all those accolades all those uh, you know the things that he he had with such pride he put it all down some of you are sympathizing with paul but you know what he says so that i may gain christ i want you to know that 
you can say that you suffered so much loss but the truth of the matter is if you have suffered loss for him you have gained you have gained him you have only gained you have only gained jesus christ you only gained jesus christ all your loss which you suffered for the sake of christ is nothing in comparison he says me knowing christ and gaining christ surpasses the value of all those things which i thought i was confident about now i have no confidence in the flesh and we are talking about somebody who was so confident in the flesh and he says nobody can be so confident about the flesh than me because i find myself blameless when it comes to righteousness which is of the law and then he goes on to talk about why so that i may gain christ verse 9 and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in christ he came to his conclusion that this righteousness that is found in the law is no good i can't keep it i can't maintain it though i can now boast about me being blameless when it comes to the law but he's saying it is not sufficient it is not sufficient for me because i cannot hold on to it. i cannot remain in it my flesh i i can't put confidence in my flesh then he says i relinquished it because i want to gain christ that i may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness which comes from god on the basis of faith that i may know him say that i may know him and the power of his resurrection see this is how you know christ and the power of his resurrection when you drop everything else and say i am righteous by what he has done that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings see fellowship of his sufferings that's how we fellowship of his sufferings by partaking of the righteousness of god in christ jesus by receiving of it you can't fellowship of his suffering you can't fellowship in his suffering unless you partake of the righteousness of god in christ jesus that's why this is a big thing that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that i may attain to the resurrection from the dead hallelujah do you know that even today in the church when i say even today i'm talking about even today in the church i mean even in our churches there are people who have not come to terms with this you still put confidence a lot of confidence in your flesh and because of which when you stand before god you're not confident at all because your confidence is in the flesh and you know very well that you have not performed to the expectations of god there are people in the church who have not come to terms with this there are people who put their confidence in the flesh there are those who boast about their righteousness derived from their efforts and their good deeds and their works but the bible says if you want to know him do you want to know him do you want to know him do you want to know the power of his resurrection do you want to partake of his sufferings here is how you do it not having a righteousness of your own derived from the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness which comes from god on the basis of faith he goes on to say in order that i may attain to the resurrection from the dead so acknowledge so this is easter sunday this morning what you must do is acknowledge that your righteousness is through faith in Christ amen have a change of mind your righteousness is only through faith in Christ you having a lot of kanyana 
on a good friday will not add to your righteousness you observing the land will not add to your righteousness you looking very very pious and long faced will not add to your righteousness you observing penance will not add to your righteousness you you sing only slow and sad songs will not add to your righteousness these are things that we entertain in the church i'm talking about in the so called believing church we entertain these things now that's why even when the lord's table is being like you know being announced being declared everyone should look very sad it's a rule you should look sad when you observe of the table reverence is one thing gloom is another don't mistake your gloom as reverence god wants your reverence when you approach the table but you must still celebrate it for what it is with joy it's not a table of gloom it's not a table of death we heard that it's a cup of blessing we heard that on friday it's a cup of blessing the blood is to your benefit and you are partaking of it the death and resurrection of jesus christ is all about your righteousness romans chapter 6 verses 4 to 7 therefore having been buried with him through baptism into death so that as christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father so we too might walk in what newness of life the resurrection of christ as resulted in you walking in say newness of life for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing that knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin look at this the resurrection of christ resulted in all this our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin you died with christ now what you live is the newness of life and when you died with christ you are dead to sin sin cannot reign in your body anymore you know why because you died with christ then now you are resurrected back with him in the newness of life if you and i were not justified jesus would still be in the grave you know that 2000 plus years the grave of joseph of arimathea would have been still still in use if not for our justification that's what the bible says in romans chapter 4 christ he was raised for our justification because of our justification he was raised meaning if not for your justification he would not have been first corinthians 15:12 now if christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead not even christ has been raised and if christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain your faith also is moreover we are even found to be false witnesses of god because we testified against god that he raised christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised not even christ has been raised and if christ has not been raised your faith is vain say worthless your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins so let's look at the the opposite if christ has not been raised your faith is worthless you are still in your sins so if truly christ has been raised then your faith is not your faith is worthy say worthy 
and we are no longer in our sins. Man, do you know that? Do you know that? Because Christ was raised, your faith is not worthless and you are no longer in sin. That's why you must not be crying anymore. Why are you weeping? Don't you know that Christ is raised? Ask, ask the person, don't you know that Christ is raised? Don't you know that Christ is raised? If Christ is raised, your faith is not in? If Christ is raised, then your sins are no longer on you. You're no longer in your sins. Then why are you weeping? The church has no reason to weep. Because the resurrection of Christ has ensured that your faith is not in vain. And that you're no longer in sins. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 to 11. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Look at that. Suffering is for what? For the? Does it say suffer for yourself? Does it say suffer for yourself? Does it say suffer in your body? Does it say suffer in your health? Does it say suffer in your finances? No, it says suffer for the? Your suffering must be only for the gospel. Amen? But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity before the foundation of the world were laid. But now, look at this, has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. He abolished what? He abolished what does it mean, abolished? It means he got rid of. That's what it means. He got rid of. Christ abolished death and brought what? Life. Brought what? Do you know what is life? That's what it is. Zoe. Zoe. He brought Zoe. Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If not for the gospel, what is the gospel? That Christ came, died, ro rose again. That's the gospel in simple words. He took your sins, died on the cross, he went on into the grave and he came back to life. That's the gospel for you. And look at this. That gospel, according to that gospel, he abolished death. And he brought life and immortality to light. Meaning it was not in light. It was hidden somewhere. It was behind the curtain somewhere. But when Christ abolished death through the gospel, life and immortality came to the light. Now you know what is life. I hope you know what is life. I hope you know what is immortality. Now here we talk as if it is done. It is done by the way. Now the, the previous chapter that we read in... in in uh, First Corinthians, it goes on to talk about death will be abolished. That is also true. Because the, the last enemy to be abolished is death. And we know that it will be thrown into the... Death and hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. Abolished once and for all. But in the spiritual, it is already abolished. For those of you who believe in the gospel, it is abolished. Death is abolished. Death has died. Death died and immortality and life came into light. 
through the gospel man hallelujah hello this is nisha dilakosh i'm sure this podcast has blessed you do subscribe to our channel for more messages and follow us on social media to stay connected may god bless you